Welcome back to Aliyah Yomi. Today we're going to be learning Yisroi Sheni, the second Aliyah in Parshas Yisroi. This Aliyah is about the system of judges. It is 11 Psokim long, running from Perik Yudches, Pasuk Yud Gimel to Chof Gimel. And let's just take a brief look at the overview and then delve into some points to ponder. So it's the next day. Yisro now comes and sees that Moshe Rabbeinu is sitting to judge the people. The people stand all around Moshe from evening, from morning until evening, and they and and, Moshe, and he sees this. He says, "This is not a good idea. This is this is not." Uh, um, why are you sitting there all standing from evening to morning? So Moshe says, well, look, the people are coming to search out God. And they come to me and I, and I judge them between, between them and I tell them what Hashem wants in these particular circumstances. So he says, this is not a, not a good idea. You'll, you'll wither it. It's not going to work. So it's much too much for one person to do. Listen to my advice. I'll give you an idea. And Hashem will be with you. Here's what you should do. You should choose. You should choose people to who are going to represent you as well. And these people, you should see, they should be people who are anshechayel, people of vigor, yirelo kim, people who are um, fear fear of heaven, anshemesoinebotsa, people who are um, people of truth who hate bribery. And you'll make them as officers over the people. Um, they should be officers of the, of the ten of the tens of the fifties, of the hundreds and the thousands. And they will that you'll set up a court system and. All the simple issues they'll deal with and the big issues they'll bring to you. And this way, um, you and your people, you'll be able to stand and all the people will be able to return to their place. It'll be a much more sustainable system as well. That's the basic idea of the Aliyah. Now, first, a few basic points to ponder. And that is, is that when did this all take place? It's a very important point. It says, It's the next day. There's actually a dispute in the Medrash, and this dispute plays itself out into the Mepharshim as well. Rashi says that this cannot be before Matan Torah. This has to be after Yom Kippur, when Moshe Rabbeinu came down with the second set of Luchos many months into the future, which means that this episode is not chronologically in its place. This actually occurs later on. After Cheta Egel, after Pashas Kisisa, all that, that's when it happens. Why? Says Rashi, for the very, very basic reason. If Moshe Rabbeinu is judging them, he has to be judging them based on the commands and the laws that were given. But if there were no laws which were given, it's very hard to judge them based on anything. So it must be later on as well. And that's why it's not chronological in this place. So if so, the question then begs is, so why is it put here if it didn't really actually happen here? So I would like to suggest that perhaps it's the idea that there are different ways of arriving at truth. Yisro is one approach of arriving at truth. He was a person who sought out and thought about and found God through universal truth. That's the first half of the parasha. Second half of the parasha is when Hashem speaks to us and tells us the writ, tells us the law. The first half is the individual finding Hashem. The second one is the community, the nation finding Hashem. And perhaps it's important to have this Yisroi idea all together here at the beginning of the parasha as the contrast, the foil, and the, um, when it comes down to the, the, the contrast with the rest of the parasha. It's worthwhile noting that the Teferis Yisrael in the Mishnahs in Perkei Avos is a very beautiful comment on the Mishnah about Rebbe Kiva, who talks about every person being created in the Tzalem and Akim, every human being. And he says that when it comes down to Jews and non-Jews, this is important for later aliyahs in this parasha as well, is that it is true that the Jews do have an instruction manual about what it is that God wants from them and what their mission is. And that makes it on one hand easier for the Jews because the non-Jews did not get that manual as clearly and explicitly. Yet, at the same time, the Jews have a higher responsibility and culpability because they have that instruction manual. 
Because they're going to be asked, why is that you ignored it when we do ignore it? Whereas the non-Jews did not have it, and therefore all discovery is seen as a merit. All ability to come closer through their own logic and thought to get to these universal laws is seen as something which is gra- greatly meritorious. As the Tiferi Sistral says, two tracks to Avada Hashem, a very, very different perspective. Um, Rav Lifshitz goes into this in, in extensive length, and he gives examples of many fine non-Jews who... who, who I mean, he understands will be getting great reward in the world to come for doing what it was that they were supposed to be here for. Perhaps the parasha needs to put Yisrael together, these two ideas of Yisrael together, because in the end of the day, it, it is actually the parallel to Matan Torah. It's perhaps the option of coming close to truth from the perspective of the Gentile who do not have Matan Torah itself. This is all in the understanding that this did not take place actually right after Matan, uh, right, right, right now in Parsha Sitra chronologically, but rather it took place later on after Matan Torah. Rashbam does quote the other Persian Pir- 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 and he says, no, this was in fact right now, between the period of Pesach and Shavuos, between, before the Matan Torah, this is when it occurred. And you ask, wait a second, so what was it that he was adjudicating? What laws was Moshe Rabbeinu teaching these people? The Elohim. So he says, there are universal laws. There are universal laws. Murder, thievery, torture, all these kind of things are universal. These are imperatives, logical imperatives. Later philosophers who dropped religion still came with this kind of critique of pure, pure, of pure reason, um, utilitarianism in the very, from its various um, founding fathers, all assumed their basic moral principles, and that's what Moshe Rabbeinu was dealing with. Uh, Soloveitchik takes a little bit of a different direction and he explains, he says, imagine this uh, over here, it's like we're dealing with a generation of survivors. We're dealing with a group of people who have suffered immensely, they're, they're themselves beaten, their wives tortured, their children ripped, ripped from their A broken generation, a generation which has suffered, and now given a new start, given a, fre- a fresh hope, given the opportunity of making a difference in their lives in the future. Such people are so broken, they just needed to gravitate towards stability, towards people who could express the values that they wish they had themselves. And that was Moshe Rabbeinu. When they came to Joshua Lokim, it wasn't because they were asking about how much I owe this person who I said I was going to loan 30 days ago, and that's the 29th. No, no that's not what we're talking about, says Rosalavechik. They just needed to be around Moshe to think about the ideas, to think about the stability, to think about the type of life that he led. What does it mean to live to, to have a family? What does it mean to establish a home? What does it mean to have a neighborhood? What does it mean to be able to choose when to get up in the morning? That's what it was that they were coming to ask Moshe Rabbeinu. Now the question is, is why did Yisro notice, and not Moshe? It seems that, that Moshe was impervious, and Yisro is the one who noticed this. Rashi says that what was concerning Yisro was that they, sat, they stood and he sat. And he says, it's not appropriate, you're acting in a regal manner. When Rav Soloveitchik explains that, in fact, he was incorrect. Yisra was wrong. The, the, the reason why Moshe was sitting was because the, uh, the people standing was because they respected him as their leader. They, they, they venerated him to such, a large, to, to such a large degree. That's why it was. There was a misunderstanding on Yisra's side as well. Um, however, the piece of advice that Yisra do, does give is adopted by Moshe. And it is important to realize that sometimes it takes an outsider to see the problem one systems. Sometimes it takes somebody who just looking at it from the outside, doesn't see it, doesn't know the system, just to see. And it's important to be able to value outside perspectives. When we live within our own silo, sometimes we just keep doing the wrong thing over and over again. And that's perhaps what's being told over here. Here's somebody who's not even Jewish, who is actually contributing a universal idea over here, um, which is going to be incredibly important for Moshe Rabbeinu as well. Now, what are the prerequisites of these judges? So the Torah tells us four things. There are Anshe Chayel, Yireh Hashem, Anshe Emes, and Sone Those are people who are men of vigor, fearers of God, 
people who are people of truth and those who hate bribery. We also hear that there's four, there are four different stations of people. There are officers over 10 people, over 50 people, over 100 people, and over 1,000 people. Rav Sarotskin says in a beautiful strike of genius that in fact, these are all parallel to each other. A person who's in charge of 10, uh, t- 10 individuals is really a policeman. That's law enforcement. This person's not making law. This person is simply regulating. They are making sure that traffic is running, that nobody's stealing, that the music's out at a certain point, nobody's double parking. That is the officer. And they have a certain amount of people in the jurisdiction, a small amount of people. They are in charge of this block. They're in charge of in- law enforcement of this block. Then, the, And that's why those people require the actual um, attribute of Anshe Chayel. That group needs men of vigor. It's very difficult to be the enforcement agency. It's very difficult to deal with people on the ground and have to deal with difficult people who want to make problems. You're the first law, uh, uh, the first barrier of access and therefore they need Anshe Chayel. But then there's the officers of the 50. These are really captains of the guard. They were in charge of the policemen, ensuring that the policemen are not abusing their position and also not slacking off. That means to say they weren't in charge of the actual people on the ground. They were in charge of the enforcement, um, the enforcement agency itself. They needed to be Yirei Hashem. This is a Gevura that's sometimes holding back. Then you have the officers over 100 people. These were actually the local judges. So these were not the people in, in the law enforcement agency. These were actually judging and applying the law in specific cases where there were disputes. These people required to be Anshe MS, people of truth, to be able to understand and see the situation in the best light possible. And finally, there were the Sare Alafim, those who are in charge of the thousands. This refers to really the greater Sanhedrin, the greater court, which would actually be the judicial branch, which was cruel, which was deciding what the law actually should be, not the application of the law, but what the law should be. Those people required to, were required to be Sonebots, are people who avoided bribes because they were actually creating. They could not have any bias in creating the law. So what Sarotskin's the beautiful perspective is that all four stations actually refer to the four different types of jobs, and those different types of jobs require different characteristics, which is what Yisrael was suggesting. With this, we conclude the second aliyah. In the meantime, have a wonderful and meaningful day.